face the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And Dr. Squee. Dragon! Pups. And today, we, we're still on the Dominion War because there's been no new Star Trek for about three weeks now. How are we coping? I know, it's ridiculous, but um, but there we are. So we get to revisit old classic Star Trek, which I'm good with. And it's yeah. DS9, and it's really, really hotting up now. We're at season five, which is kind of the tipping point where just about every episode becomes a Dominion War episode or a Dominion War derivative episode. So I worried yeah. about these two that we've got today. Is We've got one which is arc heavy the other one which within the dominion war is sort of standalone mm. which is really yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. we got and by thunder scouts nice mate. and we got spoilers for the second episode twist but we, we've got double changelings this week we have got double changelings yep and um, and i was gonna say i was gonna correct myself then say well we've got three changelings because we've got odo but we have not got odo as a changeling we have not got it depends isn't it is changeling like also the race? Because like the founders is kind of a name, really, more than a yeah. Changeling's the race, yeah. or it's what well, I mean. Historically, I it was that... used as a like term of denigration by other people in the uh, Gamma Quadrant, but they kind of reclaimed it yeah, as their own. Called... I think the race call themselves the founders. Mm. They do, but that seems more like a title, you know, to make themselves sound sinister. Yeah, that what did they call themselves? Yeah, but... Actually, they didn't use words, so that's used a good... No, I, I withdraw, withdraw the comment because they didn't have words. They, they just communicated through the link. See him? Yeah. Well, they were solids originally, so they must have had... Presumably, they had a name for themselves then, and before they founded something, they couldn't really have been the founders. Oh, I've opened up a can of worms yeah, here. Well, we need a book about it. Maybe we'll yeah. get it in I... the recently announced autobiography of Benjamin Sisko, which very I'm very Ooh. excited about because it. I was I was fearing we weren't going to get the DS9 equivalents. We've had the Kirk, we've had the Picard, we've had the Janeway, and I was like, why have they skipped DS9? And then they did a Spock, and I was like, they're just not doing Cisco, are they? <laughs> Uh, but finally, finally, they've done, they're doing a Cisco one. And I just want to put it out there. What I would do, were I the author of this book, which, and full disclosure, I'm not, because it I'm... It wasn't your pen name. <laughs> because I'm not an author, and I would not have the skill to do what I'm about to describe. But, because Cisco's a prophet... I would write this book as if he's writing it once he's a prophet, and then you could write it in a non-linear fashion, even though it's an autobiography, and usually, like in the previous Ooh. ones, they just go through the life yeah. in chronological order. That's interesting. I, I would be tempted, if I were an author and I had that skill, to write it in a weird sort of out-of-chronology way and... 
you know, play with that idea a little bit. They should have got Ted Chiang to to write it, who did um, the story. Is it the story of us? Is it called? Which was adapted into the film Arrival. Um, he's very good at playing around with. I mean, that guy. Like, I'm sorry, I'm totally on a tangent here, but um, so the the short story that Arrival's based on is about sixty pages long. And he spent three years becoming an expert on linguistics in order to write this short story. Uh, it's like, good on you, mate. I mean, that's dedication for you. Yeah, because I did, I mean, I didn't think of that idea. That's genius. But I did wonder if they'd write it somewhere in the chronology of Deep Space Nine. But then you have to really set it near the end if you want to encompass everything that everyone wants in there. So, yeah, the idea of setting when he's already a wormhole prophet, which I thought... Maybe they'll do that, but then how do they play yeah. like that? But yeah, yeah, I think nonlinear would be a really good framework. Yeah, it's it's an interesting idea. Like, yeah, when would because what I like about them books, and I, you know, I've read the Picard one, I've read the Kirk one, and I do find them really interesting. Um, uh, but I like the fact that when it does the early years, which is obviously the part we as the viewers have not seen, it's very detailed and it has like, you know, it gives you dialogue, it gives you description, it gives you everything. Then they get to the juicy part, which is like when they're on the Enterprise and you would expect in a regular autobiography, they would be the bits that they spend more time on. But because the author knows that we've seen all that, it just kind of goes... And then in the first year of my five-year mission, we did a load of stuff. We met Khan. We, we did the Cobbamite thing. Uh, yeah, my mate Gary Mitchell turned into a god and I had to kill him. And, and it just glosses over it in a couple of paragraphs because obviously we've seen that bit. Yeah, the, it's all where that you can watch it as much as yeah, you want. Then it goes, oh, but after the five-year mission finished, fucking hell, I'll tell you what happened there. It's helping if you took yourself off. Yeah, Doctor Squeeze muted everyone. <laughs> That's a good point. And some may have rejoiced. I'm sorry to end it, but yeah, and it does also offer itself that maybe if if, if Kurt was writing his autobiography, he he might say it's like, well, this has been covered in all of the uh, Starfleet news channels. Everything it's been done to death. I talked about it in interviews, so let's talk about some stuff I never talked about. Yeah, that's true. What kind of ones? Can I just? Uh... Say something here for Dr. Squee. Please make sure you don't have your mic on mute when you're asking Sid questions tomorrow. What? I don't, don't, don't jump the lead. I was oh. waiting for, for Tim to finish. To... Shh. They don't... Well, I did just say, Shh. I did just say Sid. I didn't Shh. ruin exactly. it. Exactly. We don't know who Sid is. Not everyone might, not everyone might know who Sid is. Yeah, but now when I start and do the build up and go, never guess around to the gas advert. <laughs> Yeah, but the second I go, it's like, and you'll never guess which Star Trek person I'm talking to you tomorrow. Oh, I wonder who's called Sid. I mean, Jesus Christ. Right, okay. Seeing as uh, as uh, Admiral... Fucking bury the lead there. <laughs> it's already jumped to it. Uh, guys, yeah, uh, for anyone who's watching, tomorrow I have the honour at 7 o'clock GMT, please check your local times, at spe uh, for speaking with uh, Alexander Sadig, the one and only uh, Julian Bashir. I'm just going to get rid of that for a second. Dr. Bashir. Uh, I couldn't be more excited. It's going to be wonderful. Second time I've spoken to him. Uh, last time we sort of did more of a kind of like linear look through his career. This time I thought it'd be fun, seeing it, it is the 30th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, to sort of like go through the 
best Bashir episodes. Yeah, now uh, so we I get... So I might chuck in a few other questions, but... Yeah, yeah. Now, now we get the super geeky question, because last well, time, yeah. and they can find it on your YouTube channel, everything, it was a Please wonderful do. interview. YouTube.com slash Dr. Squee. And, you know, you did do an amazing thing. You talked to him about where he grew up, and you talked to him about all his other roles and stuff. Uh, and as, a, uh, you know, as someone who is interested in Alexander Siddig's life and watching it thinking this is great. But as a Trekkie, I'm sat there going, I don't want to hear about Gotham. Stop asking him about <laughs> Gotham, Squee. What are you doing? Well, you see, you know, you've got to know, this is the way you get interviews because sometimes they do look at the interviews you've done before and if they see you speak about stuff they don't usually so much, it kind of uh, gets them in the door at least. Now I kind of put it on Front Street when I was asking his um, agent, it would be really nice to do some of the best Bashir episodes or, you know, talk a bit more about Deep Space Nine, seeing as it is the 30th anniversary. So, you know, you've got to charm people sometimes, sometimes play the longer game. Um, and that's hopefully how you get uh, people coming back and more interviews and things like that. So there anyway, we go. that's a little bit inside baseball, which is appropriate for the Cisco talk, which we've just had. It is. Yes, um, yeah. uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, if you go to the uh, Retrek page, you can see the details yeah. on there. If you go to the Dr. Squee Show page, you'll see them there as well. And yeah, it's going to be a blast. And if you're in one of the time zones where you're working during the day, which I know is kind of a lot of the American viewers and stuff, uh, you can check it out later, youtube.com slash Dr. Squee, and it'll be up there. And it'll be obviously shared on the Retrek page and everything like that as well. And yeah, that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we'll keep an eye on Bashir as we go through these episodes. But first up then... Apocalypse Rising, the season five opener. Um, I remember at the time, I was a little bit worried about this episode. I enjoyed it. I think it's a great episode. But I was like, oh, no, the, the, they are going really heavily in on the Klingons now. And I, I know it's got Dominion and it's got the founders and all of that stuff. But I was like, I really don't want DS9 to become the Klingon, the Klingon show. show. And to be fair, this is probably as Klingon as we get, and maybe that was the approach. Like, okay, let's do, let's do a full-on Klingon. To be fair, we got quite a lot of Klingon stuff later on. We do, but you know, well, it was it was all very much part of the Dominion War. It I'd was. say this probably beat Klingon because you've got a few episodes, like which in a row, which kind of did, or not in a row, but in similar. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Though. I mean, the good thing about this is, to your point, Jim, I love the fact that they like, they made the decision of having Klingons a good chunk of the, of the show going ahead, but as allies, which is something new, because we've seen yeah. Klingons as the enemy yeah. a lot. So doing this for a little stint was good, but then moving on so we could see them as allies and what that means, what it means to, for war. It, it drew up so much good stuff for him. Absolutely. And it, it gives Worf so much more to do. And like we've yeah. said this a load of times, but obviously Worf originated in TNG and he's perhaps best known for that. But what they actually do with Worf on DS9 is so much more interesting and so much richer than what they ever got chance to do on TNG. So, Well, it, it is... Time he wanted to commit suicide because he broke his back. <laughs> yes, he did. He jumped, he, jumped, he jumped over a wooden barrier that was in the middle of the bridge for some reason on numerous. 
qualifications. It was about his role in uh, TNG. It was, and coming up with plans that people say no to, but... (laughs) I'd also throw out there, it's interesting that they almost went Vulcans as the uh, people they went at war to, like, at the beginning of this series. Ooh, that'd have been interesting. Oh, did you not hear about this? Because they... um, there was one particular episode, there was something that happened in it, and they go, it's got to be the Klingons because of this. But if you think about it, the richness, the, as I say, it gave Wolf's character and all the stuff you can build on it, and he can be an emissary slash antagonist to them, depending on what the episode mm-hmm. calls for. He can switch between those two, and yeah. it makes perfect sense either way. It was just gave them so much more to work with. If it was Vulcans, I'm sure that would have been wonderful, and we would have got some wonderful stories, but... Who's the Falcon equivalent? We don't have a Falcon. No, we do. We don't. You, the, the stakes aren't as personal, which mm-hmm. is, um, yeah, I thought nice to know. So this episode, then, the first thing, more or less, the very first thing we hear is, oh, the Klingon War's not going so well. And you're like, wait a minute, they haven't declared war. We finished last season with Galron saying, if you do not uh, move your troops from the Arcanus sector, it will be war. And I love how... Casually, it's just dropped in. It's just like, yep, okay, they're at war now. Now, I did tell you all last week to go back and watch um, Body Parts. Oh, you did? Did you bother to watch it? I did not, sorry. I forgot. You see, if you'd watched Body Parts, you'd have seen part of the uh, opening of this episode. (laughs) Oh, I remember you saying, no. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that... I mean, that's a really good spot, Jim. I never even spot that. But I, I think it was so implicit that I the was, Federation would never give up the land. But I know what you're saying. It, it never, means you can do the time jump. I've never noticed it before, and I have, like, binge-watched DS9 before. But I think, like we've said, when you're watching mm. it closely, like we are for, for this podcast, you do pick up on little bits. Um, and then... Worf wants to take the Defiant. Kira doesn't want to take the Defiant. And this is where we, we mentioned this on our, our chat, uh, messenger chat we had earlier today. This is where Worf asserts that he is the commander of the Defiant. Um, but I, 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 oh, sorry, mate. I was just going to say, regardless of whether Cisco's there or not. Well, I don't, you see, when Cisco's there, he always takes command yeah. of the Defiant. He does, yeah. It's, I, 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 yeah, it's. Um, I felt when he was saying this, he didn't say he was defiant. He was the commander all the time. He just said, "I am the commander of defense of the defiant." He did say he's the captain. So no, he said commander. Yeah, Walt says he's the commander. So how I see it, Cisco is like, is he a captain yet? He is a captain. Yeah, I couldn't remember if he'd been promoted to a captain or not. End of season three. Right. Three so, series of a commander in charge of a space station by that fucking one. So anyway, I won't sell that. And- but he's got, he's the captain who's in charge of like the DS9 overall military thing, mm-hmm. which include, is the station three runabouts and the Defiant. They are all under his command, the assigned to his station. So whichever one he's on, is in charge of. But he, yeah. needs different, he needs a commander for the station and a commander for the Defiant when the Defiant goes off on missions without him or when he goes off on the Defiant so the station still has a commander and that's where Kira and Worf are. They're sort of his... His one, lieutenants. One, his lieutenants, they're one step below him. It just seemed to me that, that with the, the... You know, again, it sort of goes back to my point about Cisco. It's ridiculous he wasn't made a captain earlier on in the show because otherwise you would get brass there to... 
to uh, uh, command such time. a station, such a strategically important station. But especially when a war breaks out, you would have a captain on the front, you'd have a captain on the station. Yeah. It just, it's still to me, it's it again, it at least sort of explains their hierarchy. So when he's like, mm -hmm. they're the commanders. So when he's um, busy on one, then one of them can captain the other. Yeah. Basically. Uh, yeah. But it just, it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me in well, the middle of the war. It's got to define not assigned as a starship off doing staff starship missions mm. it's assigned to do work for that station only. oh i, I understand that assigned to the station i i still check the captain i would have thought i don't know but i agree with like i can understand why cisco was a commander when he first got sent to the station in yeah, charge nothing but once the the wormhole was discovered mm. You even brought in someone above him because it became far more strategically important. Or you promoted him straight away to that position. Yeah. So that other captains couldn't arrive and outrank out, out him straight Yeah, away. it would be a wonderful end to that head to the emissary. If like the emissary is a pretty decent pilot, all things told. But it's like I think it would be a great ending if Picardo Gunn's like, well, Starfleet's a bit nervous about having a commander in charge of such a strategic uh, outpost. That's why we're going to have to promote you. A lovely little ending. You yeah. have a little wrap-up to their little arc together. Mm, yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't do that. But anyway, they didn't. So <laughs> um, so the the main thrust of the episode is we're going to prove Gowron's a changeling and Cisco's in charge of the mission. Meanwhile, Odo's feeling a bit sorry for himself. Uh, that's kind of our two threads, really. I do enjoy yeah. the... Sorry, Elliot, go on. Well, like, we've got... Sev there's several months past here. Mm -hmm. yes. Between end of season four, beginning of season five, it's established there's been several months yeah. past. So, although has obviously been doing his job and there's obviously been other things going on because there was a war going on with the Klingons, but he spent this entire time moping. Yeah. And bear that in mind for the next episode, because this is the only time we see him moping. Well, it's because well, I think. He... I th oh, sorry. I was just going to say. I, I think it was Cisco shaking him out of it. I think Cisco perhaps yeah. let it go on for so long. Probably him sending out his uh, his lieutenants on missions. You know, all, this, all the other uh, security. Yeah. And I think this is um, the first time Cisco needed him for the mission. And right. so that's when he's like, right, just either fucking sort it out or go. Like, and that's your you have to remember, like, we are getting more serialised, but we're still in that era where character arcs need to be resolved within one episode. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> otherwise yeah, the, the studio thinks that casual viewers won't be able to follow it. So um, I think you also, I mean, you also do, like, this is the Star Trek universe especially. So you go in with the softer you know like give people space give them counseling whatever they need to begin with i think the reason why cisco's being so hard on you know not hard on him but like drawing the line with him is because he has gone through months of him being like this and yeah. like, <laughs> right i've been as generous i've been as nice as possible you've done the like, yeah it's like you counseling which you refused time to like you know give the tough love yeah we've got there's an actual mission to... now come on yeah but there's a few things yeah. here like there's been a few months of this and Cisco goes to see him and he goes, I'm off duty. And Cisco goes, I thought you were never off duty. So does this mean this is the first time that he's been off duty? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, well, well, maybe 
Or is this girl just taking no notice of it for umpteen months of Maybe. It's like he, he's he's human now, Cisco. You can't expect him to yeah. just have five minutes in his bucket and be fine. Well, I'm, I'm wondering well, if he's... he's have to spend his umpteen hours in his bucket offline, off duty. Yeah, yeah true. I, I, I'm wondering if this is him... Um, but then he used to sleep in his in his office, so he was kind of on duty. But I, I would, I'm wondering if maybe like for for the intervening months, he either hid in his office or in his quarters, and this is like now he's ventured out a little bit. But he's still no, doing I reckon there. actually something far more sinister's going on here. Like Odo's saying, "Oh well, you know, now that I'm a solid." We might have to redo my shifts. How long? How long do solids usually sleep? And Cisco, what are you talking about? None of us sleep, Odo. You know, you're yeah. the only one who yeah, you hours. used to turn into a liquid state for hours, and we had to crack on with job. No, yeah. solids don't. Sleep. And that's why Odo's so annoyed because he's not had any well, sleep. <laughs> I, I, I think it. Well, it is. Uh, Cisco meant that any time he was in solid form, he I was know. working. He never, he never had leisure time. Yeah. So, yeah. so everyone else. So, what is it? It's a twenty-six hour day to do. So let's say they have eight hours sleep time, like what we'd have. They have eight hours work time, like what we'd have. So that'd leave them ten hours of social time mm-hmm. in theory each. But he expected Odo to work all that yeah. every day. So he owes Odo seventy hours per week for four years. Ooh. No, but they don't deal in money. Tough luck. You're working for the Federation now. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I know. It can take it, it back as time in lieu, and he'll just have a couple of weeks off. Yeah. Anyway, briefing scene then, and I I, I enjoy this briefing scene. I like like the setup that you get in heist movies where they basically go this is what we're going to do we've got these little balls we've got to put them in four places and we've got to press this little doodah and that'll do everything and I, I, I know it's silly but I just enjoy scenes where they lay it out so that when we get there we know exactly what's going on I love it and there's a scene which fits perfectly in the arc of Bashir, which we want to talk about but they fits out perfectly in the arc of Bashir um, being hyper-intelligent and us not knowing because he looks at it and goes, but what does this do? He bloody knows. That's yeah, like that. he knows. But that's all I can think about watching that now. It's like, ah, uh, he knows. I love it. He's he's throwing them off the trail. It's like, yeah, that's obviously one of those. Better play dumb. What's mm. this, Protel? <laughs> and then, the, the, I've written down this note, so I'm going to say it. I don't care. We get... Return of the cat. Yes, it is. <laughs> <coughs> that's that's all I've got. No, 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 no. Yeah, sorry, there wasn't much to add to that. That was um, But dumb. Kira does enjoy winding him up about the baby, where it's like, well, oh, it's yeah, Chief yeah, O'Brien's. Nice. Yeah, you can see it, can't you? Where you go, no, Chicago must be very uh, happy with himself and. Why? This is so Brian's baby. Yeah. And she doesn't say anything about it, just leaves and gobsmacked and what's going on? Yeah. It's good <laughs> for it also makes sense as well because it's like you know usually you go well why is Descartes helping them but like his daughter's on that station so it kind of yeah, they're, they're, yeah. I, I like the fact that it's, it's quite tight the plot and remember Descartes kind of a goodie at this point this is as good yeah. as Descartes like, gets like this is why we covered the ship because uh, he has to clean on ship and it plays an important role here yeah yeah 
Um, and then the big reveal is that they've been turned into Klingons, and it's clearly that's why they've done this episode. Like, wouldn't it be fun to get three of our characters and put them as Klingons? But now I saw something about this, and uh, O'Brien's ridges mm. that he's got are Martox. Oh, are they? Yeah. Ah, very yes. cool. Well, well, I was looking for screenshots to do the thumbnail and stuff and photos. Someone had done it before and they've done um, like a, a drawing up over them so you can see like where all the marks are and they're the exactly the same. So they've obviously done, I, I assume that they've probably got something like six or seven different Klingon ah, see well, that they use. That answers a question I had later because Martok has that whole thing where he's like, ah, something very familiar about familiar this face. About face. <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. And Martok has not met O'Brien at this point. So I always found that a little bit strange well, that he was like... Briefing. So I yeah, met... This is a founder, so it could... Brian, that's what I up. thought. I thought is that a bit of a giveaway by the founder yeah, that it's actually now I've seen now I've seen this. It sort of makes more sense. And it's sort of like an in joke. That's it. It's like looking in right. a mirror for him now. Well, I mean, they yeah. did, did on. Um, I was hearing a thing a while ago about during generations. What they had to do is because they were still filming the TV shows at the time. Mm. Uh, like uh, I think it, it. I mean, I forget who wore what uniform, but like Rike had someone else's uniform. Yeah, Rike so had it, it's slightly too small on him. Yeah. yeah. Did George have O'Brien? Yeah. And that's why he was so baggy. Oh, yeah, that's why he's got the sleeves rolled up all the time. Jordy's got the sleeves rolled up because it were too big. Riker's got them because his arm. They don't go down to the bottom of his arms. Um, nice. There's a weird bit though where um, Ducat's like. I would love a photo of all four of you. And it's like, well, Worf always looks like that. They've just made his hair a bit longer. Yeah. Well, like, he doesn't want to leave him out. He's no, not, maybe, oh, maybe. He may be evil, but he's not mean, girl. Yeah, mean okay. Girl or something, you know. And I think we get some good stuff from Damar in this episode. Like, when they're on Dukat's ship, Damar's, like, showing a little bit of bloodlust. And you're like, ooh, this is interesting when we know yeah. where Damar's going to go. His first line is, um, you know, don't worry, by the time we're going back, you'll be dead. Like, he, the first line he says is something to do with them dying, and I just love that. I was yeah. like, this is why he was a keeper, because, like, it was little dry lines like that to yeah. perfectly. Yeah, um, well, was it, like, the first time we saw him when he was on, on the freight, freight with the cat? Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then we've got this, and he's... Is a minor recurring character at this point. Mm -hmm. And what they did with this minor recurring character is amazing. Oh, where he ends up. Yeah, he's yeah. brilliant. So thought, like, this is what uh, Star Trek was genius at doing. They recognised when they've got it. Season, like with O'Brien. Like, you know, but this. I know, yeah. I'm just saying in different shows, like, they always uh, recruited people from within if they were really good. Like, that yeah. Colmini seems pretty good in, in these episodes, so let's uh, chuck him in more. Let's, yeah. let's give him a main part now. Let's, yeah. Then we get the cute sort of wink to the audience scene where you've got Bashir and Kira talking about the baby, and she's like, well, this is your fault. And for anyone who's not aware, Alexander Sadig is the father of the child that Nana visitor is carrying in that scene. 
Also, if you watch their body language, I don't know why this stuck out to me this time, but um, yeah, they're very close to like they're, they're closer than people usually stand with body mm-hmm. language and stuff. Yeah, it was very like you know, I, I, not something you'd notice if you didn't know, but it's like if you maybe didn't know. Ooh, maybe maybe Bashir and Kira have actually secretly been lovers ever since that episode where Loxana makes them all get the hots for each other. And they've just kept it super, super secret. There you go. That's my headcanon now. Um, Then there's the bit where Worf's teaching them all to act Klingon, and obviously O'Brien's right. But I love the... Cisco gets really into it. And then Worf says, like, very good, Captain, but was it your intention to challenge me to a duel to death? And he just goes... Oh, not at all. And he, no, not at the all. way his voice just changes, like he yeah. gets from Klingon Cisco to normal Cisco. That is one of my favorite bits I did. Have. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And there's a little bit about Ducat not trusting Worf. He's like, I would rather do this than trust Mr. Worf's ability to lie. And. I like that it's setting up a little bit of antagonism between Worf and Ducat, which obviously will intensify, shall we say, as the as the show goes on. But I like that there's just little little dicks. sprinkles of it here, yeah. And was that when the boat blew up the bird of prey? That's a bird of yeah. prey explosion we've seen before, isn't it? Oh yeah. It, yeah. I thought it looked very, very familiar. Yeah, I think we've seen... I don't think there's actually any new space effects in this episode. No, maybe, oh, the planet must be. Also, I love the fact that when he's uh, doing it, he just pressed one button to fire. It's like, good job no one landed on the console or anything. There's like, always yeah, just one it. button to fire. <laughs> yeah. And in Star Trek did 6... There'd have been knackered if Murph had been on board. Yes. <laughs> in Star Trek 6, when they blow up, um, you know, when it's the whole, she's ready, Jim, lock and load, and all, and Kirk goes, fire. And the button that the guy presses says, mode select on it. So, when he, when he just targeted it, and then the mode he selected was, was fire. fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, there you go. In the 23rd century, they had more safety precautions for firing. It's like you need to select fire mode, then you need to. I, I guess when there's someone at the helm, I figure they primed it. They pressed some buttons in yeah. advance, whereas he just goes yeah. for one button. It just was kind of striking in this one how it's just one button to fire weapons. Like, that yeah. seems a little, little dangerous to me, but. Yeah. It's just the cat's just give it a well, let me press yeah. button. Um, yeah, so that when they get to the Klingon thing, is this whole thing of right? Well, you need to all get pissed and do all this stuff, yeah. which is all good fun. Very yeah. very oh, Klingon. It's, it, it's so it, Klingon it, as well. The whole like idea it. that if someone doesn't make it through the drinking, yeah. they yeah. don't get to, the, to have their yeah. horrific. It's it's an endurance test. You've got to drink, eat, and eat all night. Party, stay awake, and then be able to be clear-headed to get your medal. Yeah, yeah. imagine the poor fuck he didn't make it, who then has got to explain that to his house, probably yeah. gets disowned for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they'll do that dishonour thing where they turn the backs on him and all that yeah. stuff. Um, Odo literally drops the ball. Yeah. There you go. And then you get this what? thing where it's like, oh, that that is a kicked car. It is a Vulcan toy. It says one line in this, which I always 
think sounds like uh, Worf's gone into advertising, uh, mm. like much like I like to do with a refreshing uh, can of Copperberg, uh, tropical edition, still available now for a limited time only. Mm-hmm. And he just suddenly goes to the camera and goes, um, "Give this to your child." <laughs> it just sounds so. Yeah, so give this to your son. <laughs> From Mattel. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the way he emphasizes the word your, like it shows a very weird word in that setting because it's like, give this to your son. As if, give it to your son, not my son. Give it to you, not that fella's son. Give it to your son. Okay. Because no, we all know he doesn't like to give anything to Alexander. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. Mind. Maybe if he had given him a track dack or whatever it's called, it might have been a bit better. <laughs> all he needed was, give this to your child. <laughs> and speaking of good line delivery, you get Gowron doing the whole handing out of medals, and it's glory to you and your house. But then when he gets to Cisco, even though he doesn't know it's Cisco, he does it differently, and he goes like, glory to you and your house. <laughs> like, why did you decide to be weird with that guy particularly, oh, Gowron? Come on, come on. Like, I mean, this is, um, sorry, what's it, something Riley, um... Robert O'Reilly. Robert O'Reilly. I mean, Jesus Christ. He will just give a random line read. Like, there's so many scenes where he just suddenly in the middle of the scene, he goes, like, and a plague on your house. Just yeah. the, like, everything else will be delivered normal. But it's like O'Reilly's. Um, I mean, just. It's this his thing, and he does Gowron eyes, which is always really good when he, he does the. Um, I mean, him. Jesus. He, can you imagine the takes between him and um Levar, uh, it's like not Levar, um that's Cisco. Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks, what's wrong with me Between him and Avery Brooks when uh, they're both hamming it up on a tape. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd have been good. They'd have probably been like, right, okay, Avery, we want you up to eleven. Robert, we want a six. I don't think yeah, we can and, have And guys, that that was great, but that scene which was just like um two page of dialogue lost an hour. Can can we just maybe just just rein it in a little bit? Just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> And yeah, so Martok captures them and they have this whole thing. They're trying to convince him he's a villain and everything. But Martok suspiciously is very up for killing Gowron. He's like, right, right, we'll sneak in, we'll sneak you in and you can kill Gowron. It'll be great. Um, and then yeah, Worf... There'll be no, there'll be no honourable uh, challenge. Yeah, yeah, this is where they start throwing out the clues. So basically he talks yeah. about honourable combat. And weirdly, combat, Worf... Which Garon uh, then says, like, Garon says, no, no, don't step forward, we're going to do this honourably. It's I love all that. Yeah, but weirdly, Worf is okay with this, and it's not him that twigs that this is unusual. Well, it's Worf's got, Worf's got this thing with Gowron, though, hasn't he? He has, yeah, Worf's... But, because, uh, like, even though he helped Gowron get the Chancellor, yeah, think because he wouldn't uh, leave the Federation, he just he sort of kicked him out, didn't he? Yeah, what the Worf and Gowron relationship's really interesting. Is ultimately, Worf is responsible for putting Gowron in power, and yeah. ultimately is responsible for removing him from power. Spoilers. Um, so I find that really fascinating. Yeah, but I th- I think this um. Uh, works perfectly with scene. I just think that it's kind of Worf's thing of because he does uh, glorify Cleon uh, culture, even though he rarely lives in it. Mm. I think like the idea of honorable combat, he gets a takedown changeling, songs will be sung. I think it's his ego. And I, I love the fact yeah. that that's yeah. in play a lot, you know, and that's very consistent throughout but the thing. So you Worf can excuse a lot by that. Worf is very much somebody who was brought up 
outside of his own culture, yeah. who's mm-hmm. only read about it in books, who idolizes, and he he literally has the textbook of what he should be like, what he should be like as a Klingon. Yeah. Because he was never brought yeah. up in that culture. And they address very nicely in Deep Space Nine the fact that he just takes all the combat and all the kind of like uh, the seriousness from it. And, you know, as Dax points out to him on more than one occasion, it's like, I know lots of Klingons who laugh, lots of Klingons yeah. who enjoy life. You just have taken all the warrior bit and none of the fun yeah, being. Klingons are yeah. really bloody good fun, Worf. Come on. I mean, they, they've got two cocks, uh, surely. <laughs> Um, so then, yeah, Wolf, uh, Odo works it out. Wolf's about to kill Galron, and Martok gives himself away, and they basically just shoot the shit out of him at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, it's all that, the Klingons there. That was glorious. They all go... <laughs> There's almost, there was almost a shrug to each other before they well, pull out the Did you like the little uh, montage of that that I did in the... Um, y- in the thumbnail, or didn't you notice? Oh, have you done a thing of all the shooty-shooty? Yeah, that's what the thumbnail for this episode is. As far as it's a far panel. Ah, right, cool. The changeling. I need to look <laughs> at it on a bigger screen, <laughs> obviously. Reveal weapons drawn. Uh, shots, fi- shots fired mm. to uh, dying. <laughs> and you know what? This is why Klingon disruptors are better than... Starfleet phasers just from a, a viewer's point because Starfleet phasers sort of go bee and you get a solid line and it's not as exciting as having something that goes blam 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 and yeah. I think that's why they did that with the defiance phasers as well because it's just so much more exciting so what you were saying before about them kind of they usually would wrap everything up in an episode still even though it's kind of serialised this is kind of one of the earlier times when they start kind of allowing things to bleed into other episodes. Yeah. So they could have just wrapped this up at the end of this episode going, Kenan Records, all signed, we're all back yeah, to Yeah, they could have done. Whereas they kind of uh, let that one breathe a little bit. It's nice. But yeah, yeah. We, we get a little bit. It's like, we'll have a little ceasefire. I'll make sure you get home okay, but I'm, ooh, I'm still not right, happy. Uh, well, Gary yeah. does utter his famous last words as well to war. Oh, yeah. Uh, you should have killed me while you had the chance. You will never get another. Mm. <laughs> now, they were famous last words. Yeah, I'll we'll see. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, this is just like uh, the traitors. I've just watched the US version oh, as well. Too. The UK one now. And I, I love it because at the end, they're kind of talking about it's like, right, I want to vote for my fellow traitor to get them out. But like, if I if it doesn't work, then we've kind of got a rift and then I might be in some trouble. Yeah. So it's, it's like you've got to make sure you kill the traitor. Don't just wound them. That's it. Oh, it's, I mean, it's such a load of rubbish. Like, it's possibly yeah. the trashiest TV you'll ever see, but it's so, like, gripping. Like, you just... Yeah. Anyway, the traitors, that, that's well worth watching. Available on BBC iPlayer, the UK and US version, so... If you're at a loose end this weekend, you could do far worse than binge watch The Traitors. Yeah, it's great fun. So, yeah, so that about wraps us up. Odo decides he wants to go back to looking like Odo. I bet René Aubergenois were like, he could make him look human. That wouldn't be too yeah. much of an issue for least, a few episodes. Like, like, we haven't ended the, the bloody war. Bloody war. Wrinkles. We haven't ended the war of the Klingons here, no. though, but we have started over to 
towards towards it. Yeah, it's still it's still there. We can we can go either way with it at this stage, but yeah, but he's realizing that he's being played and pushed into something, and yeah, the founder. Of- the Dominion are manipulating us to have this war. Like, what the founders have done is really devious. It is, it's very while clever. They, while they were, had Odo in the link, not only did they hide the thoughts of what was going on, they implanted false thoughts. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, you think it's implanted? I always thought it was just he, because he was sort of saying, ah, there's something there. But it I was, but they, no, I think when... It, well, they've done it deliberately. My, my, I'm... I'm just speculating. My theory has always been, I like that theory too, but I just, my theory has always been that because he couldn't quite place it, he just saw Garen's like, yes, it must be that. And I think he's filled in a few gaps, like, you know. Uh, no, I think I think the founders have been really devious here and made him think, just made him think that it is Garen. Yeah, no, that's the way I, mean, I always read it, that they were doing so, it so that they'd go and kill Gowron. Yeah, which would escalate the war even further. Uh, no, 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 that's, if, that's probably Like, right. if they go and kill Gowron, there's absolutely no way this war is ever ending without one of them being totally destroyed. Well, I mean, the, the other thing which I thought was very interesting is at the end, the Changeling tries to kill Odo, which, let's face it, the founders have gone to great pains to not kill him. They've sent him back yeah. as a humanoid. So I've, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, watching this back today, it's like, well... Is that something the founders go? It's like, right, if you get in a position and it's either you or him, you've got to kill him. Or if I like to think, especially with the look that he gives him and how annoyed the founder looks, yeah, uh, I think it's him going rogue and just deciding in that mm, moment, maybe it, him, them, she, whatever. You betrayed us. But would he... Yeah, so fucking, I think they were too lean on you. I'm going to kill you right now. Would he be able to get off on a technicality and say, well, he's no longer a changeling, so I killed a solid? Yeah. Oh, do you think the founders are going to work on technicalities? I if don't they know. don't like what you've done, you're fucked. <laughs> like, let's face it. You're going to the great link for judgment, but I get the thing. Yeah. Yeah, they'd probably turn him into a human as well. He'd be like, oh, for goodness. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, good opening episode. And then I kind of feel like the ship was made for people like me back in the day who were like, oh, no, don't make it just the Klingon show. Like, okay, do you want a full-on Dominion episode set in the the Gamma Quadrant? That's fine. We can do that next. And so... This put me back in my, my safe place, so I was happy with that. <laughs> but we've covered to no end how... Well, I, I don't think... That, I, I think you're right, actually, and I think this is... The studio had what... Like, we do know the studio had wanted to bring the Klingons in, mm-hmm. and they were fighting against it becoming the Klingon show. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is the way of the, of the producers saying, no, fuck you, we've given you your full-on Klingon episode. Now we're going back to what we want to do. <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, there, there is, again, I'm, I, I wish I could remember the line or the episode it's from. There's one of the episodes where they say it's like, the only hope for the Federation is this alliance or like this, it, like if, if this happens with the Klingons, we'd be in trouble. There's some sort of line in one of the earlier episodes, which is when the writers go, oh no, no, this is a really good thing we could do with the Klingons. And that's- Yeah, what, absolutely. Oh, I, mean, I do think they do a brilliant job of, being given this new element that they've got to integrate, which is we, the studio, want lots and lots of Klingons. Um, but then they're like, okay, but we're going to fit them into what our plan was. We're not just going to yeah. switch the focus of the show. 
but we have talked at length about how the Federation might have kind of started this whole Dominion War thing. And at this point, there is not an officially declared war. So no. what, what happens in this episode, we're going into territory which you've been told in no uncertain terms you should not be going into anyway. And you know what? We're going to pick a planet and we're going to mine it. And it's like, you're really spoiling for a fight, Federation yeah. here. And, like, I, and, and I've got a commander with me who was uh, the chief te- tactical officer on the Federation flagship to sort of tell me if we can have uh, supply lines to this planet from the wormhole. Yeah. You say that. He wasn't chief tactical back then, was he? He was... Oh, no, you're talking Wolf, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking Brian. Yeah, Wolf was the chief tactical. No, no, yeah, yeah, sorry. On, yeah, yes, yes, he was. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, he was the security, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, um, the one thing which I... Uh, oh, shit, what was I going to say? Something about... Oh, yeah, because uh, when you say that, with this plant... Am I right in saying, because there's a lighter line where they go, it's like... Well, they're, well, they're t- talking about the logistics of it in this scene, and they're saying about, like... Um, the supply route would be difficult because I think the supply route goes yes. through or very close to Dominion Space, but I don't think this is an occupied planet. But, the Dominion, Dominion, but again, it goes, it goes back to the episode <laughs> of the Jem'Hadar where they said, we will treat any incursion through the wormhole as an act of war. Yeah, but does that mean then it, they they speak for uh, everyone in that quadrant? Like, the yeah, Federation would go, I this think, is our quadrant. Uh, I think... Saying that we will treat an incursion through the wormhole as an act of war, actively going through the wormhole to mine a planet for resources to take back through the wormhole, they would judge as an incursion through the wormhole. Oh no, no, I know how they'll judge it. I'm just saying, your your you two's argument is usually that because the Dominion have decreed this, yes. so be it. And I'm saying that there's so many other species who have that true, through the wormhole. But- but that the, should not have that dictated for them. But again, we go back to your thing, Squee, which is just a little line of dialogue would have sorted it all out. They could have said, well, as Starfleet, we have a humanitarian mission to continue exploring the Gamma, uh, the Gamma Quadrant because we believe the Dominion are oppressing people over there. And that contextualises well, it all, but they never I, do I, I that. Felt, <laughs> but, but I felt like that, that was said in their deeds, though. For me. But does that make it right to go claim a planet over there to strip mine? Well, you see, getting on to <laughs> claims and stuff, because a lot of the... One of the big things of this episode is Cisco goes, we've got salvage rights to this ship. And it's like, really? Like, Do you honestly expect an alien yeah, species cool. to honour a right from Earth. your planet? The Earth it, tradition. This isn't even a Federation tradition. Like, no, Cisco, you are nicking this ship. It's why on earth would they respect your salvage rights? If they fall for that, you could go up to them and go, ah, I'm claiming Prima Nocta. You know, it's <laughs> it, you know. I mean, yeah, that that's a bullshit <clears throat> argument, but I think even if they haven't declared war like I think both sides know that's what's coming and I think oh yeah it's a military thing thing but salvage rights bollocks try harder Cisco but I think that was part of um, I don't think Cisco intended that to work it was just she goes what claim have you got it's like Salvage. I think it's almost like it's it's yeah. almost yeah, taking this true, stage. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you've asked me what right. Well, that's the one I'm going to choose. Yeah, the one I'm, which I'm you gonna, will not respect at all. I'm going to go with that one. Well, yeah, fair enough. 
Um, I like that O'Brien's got his little mate Munez in this episode, and I do like the little arc that go on. There's the, sort of a bit of banter between them. It's like, oh, mountains in Ireland, oh, they only had hills in Ireland. And, Gently sloping hills. Yeah, in and you can... I didn't appreciate the dissing of Ireland, I will say that, but apart from that, I was in. And you can there, see... There's the... mountains in Ireland. <laughs> You can yeah, see, like, the, the way O'Brien's... Some of those are really steep, I'll have, you know. <laughs> the way O'Brien's, like, mentoring him, where he's like, OK, this ship's upside down, what do you think that is? And he makes Munez sort of work it out, like they'd need a yeah. hatch on the bottom for landing troops, and O'Brien, well done. Also, lest we forget... If anyone uh, can make mountains out of hills, it's Colin Meany, who, of course, was in The Man Who Went Up a Hill and Down a Mountain. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There we go. Oh, I bet that's on the IMDb trivia for this episode. And if it's not, you bet your ass we'll put it on there. (laughs) And we'll put courtesy of Retrek Podcast, all rights reserved. That's that's our citation. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then the, everybody's dead, and I love the little detail that it's like, oh, it's the initial dampness have failed. And you're like, right, well, that shows how bloody important it is to have the inertial dampness on your ship because yeah, that is that, not nice. Yeah, all the bones are liquefied. Yeah. <laughs> and well, also, like, I mean, what does that to a, a, a founder? Like, they're, they're pretty hardy, like, to... Yeah. If if it was that bugger that it killed them, yeah, like yeah, they could it's find just and splatted them. What the founder should have done is turned itself into an inertial dampener. But it obviously <laughs> didn't didn't think quick enough on its feet or its jelly or. Well, I'm I'm assuming that the inertial damp dampeners failed during the crash. Yes, I would guess so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can imagine it going down and going, don't worry, third Talak Taranagar, the inertial dampeners will save us. Inertial dampeners have failed. Oh, shit. <laughs> and as they're, as they're about to crash, the, the founder there goes, ah, don't worry, I will turn myself into an inertial and crash. They, they yeah. shouldn't make a speech before they no, shake that's you. It. you <laughs> should, uh, time. That's why you should have more than two view screens and stuff. I like all the detail as they're going round, like there's no sleeping quarters, there's no chairs. The, yeah. the, there's only two eyepieces for the water and for the first, and that's your lot. Yeah, and also, like, it's it's really nice they don't just, like, uh, brilliant, let's just take this thing off, like, as soon as we get it out of the rock. Like, the rock formation that it's crushed into is enough to slow them down but they have this thing of like you know which would be true i don't know how any of these systems work and it's like brian's got to figure them out one at a time that's that's pretty good meanwhile just so that alexander sadig and armin shimmerman can cash the checks for this week we've got this little scene where quacks con bashir and this is absolutely nothing to it and they go in and Kira's like, right, tell me what's going on. And then after five minutes of them bickering, she goes, oh, actually, I've got far more important things to be doing. <laughs> but there you go. You can you can keep your Screen Actors Guild um, union payments <laughs> up for this week. Two things. One, she had to hear what it was to know that she's got better things to do. True. She had to hear she, what She heard a lot of it before <laughs> she decided. My, my problem is this, though. At the end of it, she goes like, uh, like um, uh, Sid, my buddy, is saying, 
Oh, oh, cool. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just get my bags. So I'll be right with you. And like, uh, we better go quickly. And she goes, no, no, you've got something else to deal with. Nice one. Just leave your problem. doctor behind when they're abandoned on, on yeah, the Yeah, it's not like we've got <laughs> Muneds bleeding to death who could probably well, do with a really that, good doctor. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. But there's know. a good faith basis that they might have injured there. And she thinks, Nana, leave the doc at home to deal with this bullshit, which we know is not his fault. True. Well, no, actually, no, she has no reason to believe there's uh, injured there because she's got the message Cisco sent. Spoke to her. Oh, before, obviously, yeah. Obviously, through the runabout he's had to use for the transmission. So they've got a crash ship with everyone dead on it. Mm. They're the only people there. Everyone's perfectly fine. And he just wants to defiant to pull them out. That's true, yeah, because then the the other ship turns up and causes all the trouble, you're right. Yeah, that's fair. I'm now, sure. I have a little bit of an issue with some of the, like, logic to this episode, so... Uh, I had a bit of a problem with some of the uh, characters in this episode. Uh, the runabout pilot. Yeah. Is that a Benzonite? It looks like one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where's the breathing apparatus? Uh, they've they've and improved surgery. it. They've improved it uh, now. Yeah. I've improved it. That's good. They've improved it to make it eternal. <laughs> they've had surgery to not oh, need right. it anymore. Yeah, but, you know, there's a few different. The, they're the only it. person on the ship, so they've changed the atmosphere on the runabout to be better no, tonight. Yeah, there was still a uh, oh, fair enough. On there. Also. The little device in front of your face is a bit clunky and they want to do away with it. That's the other reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we'll do the Benzenite makeup, but we're not getting that little thing. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, so, one, we've got they've this. Actually, they've actually massively improved the Benzenite makeup. I know. Well, yeah, um, and it's like if you throw out like. No, I don't mean just by that little bit. I mean, no, the no. actual makeup yeah, itself yeah. is massively yeah. improved. I was just going to say, it's like it's like with Jordy. I mean, he expressly says he would never have implants because they were too painful or they restricted something. Uh, but then by the movies, you've you, you've only got to imagine that they've improved the technology. That's the only way it works. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, so. The right. So first of all, here's my what I think might be logic issues. First of all, they've got this massive big crew, which we've never seen that many people on a runabout before. Though we do know that a runabout can house that capacity, so that's fine. It's still pretty big, but anyway, we know that the runabout does have capacity for that many people, so that's fine. However. They say it'll take two days for the Defiant to get here. And we know that a runabout is slower than the Defiant. So how long has this mission been out? Why didn't they take the Defiant in the first place? I don't know. Um, What's the speed of a runabout? I thought it was something like Warp 6 or something like that. I I might might be wrong. Because the Defiant's only Warp 8. Maximum war. I, I can throw out a little theory. I mean, the only thing I'm thinking is that, but this doesn't make much sense to Cisco being there. But like, let's go with it anyway. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can think of is if they wanted to send a uh, crew on a runabout to check this out, but they want to keep the Defiant in that strategic place because they're just checking out a supply route. They've worked out where they're going. Maybe they've decided it's. It's safe enough, and maybe the the um, uh, runabout is a bit more agile, you know, and like less likely to be like, seen or make waves. What what but I then, can't understand is why the commander of the most strategic, strategically mm-hmm. positioned um, 
space station in the galaxy is on a mining survey and he's taken his chief engineer yeah, yeah. and his strategic operations officer that's with him and his chief uh, scientist and his scientist that's, yeah that's what i meant by like you know that's where the theory yeah, falls apart it, like, yeah. it, it all makes sense that they would send like i can think of loads of reasons and why they yeah, the, send a runabout but not with the, all the brass on it the reason yeah. is it can't be the defiant because we <laughs> need the runabout to get blown up so the episode can happen so yeah. We, we we need to have them there. It's fair enough, but I feel we'd be being remiss if we didn't call it out. I point out the fact that you wouldn't send these officers on a mining survey mission. That's True. The thing. Yeah, the, 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 the runabout makes more sense than them being there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So another nasty, like we talked about when we talked about the quickening last week, um, how nasty the founders can be. So we find out the Jemadar's weapons have got an anticoagulant, so if they stab you or shoot yeah. you, you're not going to get better from it, which yeah. I think is... Uh, yeah. Without proper medical attention. Yeah, I think that's a lovely dark... dark. It's kind of like they used to do with the... When they used to have swords with serrated blades on them and they used to put them in and twist them and then when they pulled them out it did more damage than when they put well, them in that's why that's why arrowheads are, are like the owl that sort of triangle yeah. and then the flat part so when it'll go in and not cause much damage yeah but if you try to pull it out it's gonna rip you all oh off. i don't know i've been re-watching robin of sherwood and they go and as soon as one of baddies gets one of them arrows dead instantly yeah if it's one of goodies they pull it out and they're fine. Um, if it's one of the named baddies, so Sir Guy of Gisborne or the Sheriff of Nottingham, they're probably fine too. But if it's just a man at arms, boom, did. And, and if it's the later Robin Hood they did with Keith Allen in it, then they can just borrow stuff from any time. It doesn't matter. There you go. <laughs> but no, Robin, that's my recommendation of the week, apart from the traitors. Robin of Sherwood is the definitive take on Robin Hood and I stand by that, and I'm re-watching it now, and it is awesome. Having said I that... I enjoyed I'm, that when it was on. It's brilliant. It, it I will, quite dated now. It's not. It holds up really, really yeah. well. I will I will lend you it, and you can watch it, and it's great. Anyway, having said that, I'm about to move on to the Jason Connery ones, and he is... Not the actor that his dad was or the actor that Michael <laughs> Prade was. So we'll, we'll see how I receive these ones. Anyway, that's for the Robin Hood pa- uh, podcast. Um, Worf, then, there's this sort of tension between O'Brien and Worf where Worf's just like, stop telling him he's going to survive. He's going to die. Yeah. What's the right dick in this episode? It doesn't even feel that consistent to anything that, that Wolf's done previously. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, like you're uh, stressed out immediately. Yeah, it's like yeah, Wolf has literally took time out of his day to go, like, tell this what? guy he's going to die. Like, you just yeah, say nothing, Wolf. Because everything else they take uh, to build up the tension of them all being kind of stuck on this planet, really nice. Like, you know, they've got... Um, uh, Dax is, of course, kind of just cracking wise as she likes to do, mm-hmm. but taking it too far. Wolf being grumpy makes sense because he's always grumpy about yeah, something, yeah. but not yeah. about this. Like you've got O'Brien being hopeful for his protege. Everything else like makes perfect sense. But it's like, Wolf, why are you just being a dick? You, yeah, you're exactly. Just, you've never been like this before about death. That like 
like we know Klingon's fear on death, but it's not like, yeah, he's gonna like he's never Yeah, it's like no stop yeah. telling him he's gonna get better. Like ju- just let O'Brien tell him he's gonna get better and you can walk away and have a little snigger if you want, Worf, but you know, it's <laughs> not what's needed at the moment. Though I do like the bit where they say, oh, they're playing games with us, and Worf goes, I have a game I would like to play with them. Like, as long as it's not fucking football, Worf, and you're going for headers, like... <laughs> too soon, too soon. Yeah, or maybe it is, because he wants to go and kill them all, so... I do like that, like, the boys are getting all wound up and fighting with each other, and it's Dax who has to step in and go, look, stop being dickheads, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you get Cisco having to step in and say the same thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that is, again, that's like a great character moment to... because, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's like, I just like the fact that uh, Dax does usually know where to draw the line. And it's yeah. like in this stressful yeah. situation, he over jokes. And it's like, uh, yeah, I think we've all been there before of pushing it a little too far. And then we get Munez, obviously, does die in the end. And Cisco's really not happy about it. And I like the. I like all the stuff with um, the water in this. Yes. Yes. Where. Do you recognise the water? Because we do see her again in Voyager. Oh, do we? No, I didn't. Yeah. Who's she she, in? um, Yeah, she plays. um, Do you remember when. uh, there's that crew going around pretending to be Voyager's crew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Robin Baines. She's that captain who's pretending oh, right. to be Janeway. Oh, nice. There we uh, go. She's then. really great in this episode. And I love the idea that, like, she plays all the charm of the water. But when she later on, like, when she reveals it's her first mission and mm. she talks a bit more about that, well, it sort of makes a lot of sense. She to never said it's her first mission. Doesn't she? she says, no, she says it's her first mission outside the Dominion. And well, the yeah, first okay. time she's met any humans. Okay, isn't she lying yeah. about that? Well, she says she... Is she lying in the first mission outside the Dominion? I assume that she's telling the truth, because, again, like, I like to think if well, Rain was the Dominion's, here... The Dominion's a huge area of the Gamma Quadrant, so this is on the outskirts of the Dominion-occupied space. So this is maybe your first mission outside that occupied space. But she never once says this is her first mission. No, no, but, but okay, Cisco yeah, does even say. with that qualifier, I would throw out that if um someone like Wayne who's had experience with humans and with the Federation, you know, at large, I think he would have that more of an edge. I, I think like basically probably <laughs> dealing with planets within Dominion space, they're all under the thumb of the Dominion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty easy to go in and just go, Yeah, still doing everything we want to do. Brilliant. Yeah. No? Okay, we'll kill you all then. Great. Bye. Yeah, it don't say much. Whereas this is the first time when she has to actually use her charm. She has to actually convince yeah. someone to do something from not from a position of power. So I think that, like, okay, you're right. I misworded it as her first mission, but it's still it's her first time having to actually really work. Yeah, I think uh, Cisco misinterpreted what she said as yeah, well. Cisco does say he's like you. The first thing you told me was a lie, and then she says I, I shouldn't have said that. So I don't know. Maybe she was. Yeah, it's it's a. I think oh, I thought I always took that as like oh, I shouldn't reveal that. Maybe not like I'm lying. It's like because that gives him the position of power. Again, I think it's little mistakes like that she makes, Mm. and then she tries to 
make up for it by saying it's like um uh, you know by not saying what's on there not i think i think it, quite an interesting point is because this is i think i believe this is the first time it's mentioned sure but when she offers in something to eat or drink and she goes oh these are my favorites and she eats whatever it is and, he, and she goes it's not poisonous and he goes at least not to you but that's developed later that the water are immune to all poisons <laughs> yes you're right <laughs> But I mean, I, I just think maybe if it was like, uh, the reason why I think Wayne might have done better is because even though the founders are like, right, they're solids, they're all scum, we can't trust any of them. I think he would have had the personal knowledge to know it's like, if you told Cisco that the shapeshifter was on board, he would give it to, you know, yeah. he would free it. Uh, so I think that's where her inexperience with humans really true. So I take it at face value there. I mean, true. also though, like, a founder would make a hell of a prisoner. Eh? Though I suppose technically they're not at war at this point, they're so if you war. did kidnap one of them... Also, if it's ill... And, and it's also, also, as he uh, mm. got back to, the, back to the founders, that Cisco was directly involved in uh, foiling the <laughs> Nartok plot and Maybe. directly involved in uh, shooting him. <laughs> Man, everyone were involved in shooting him, though. They no, were yeah, all... no, no, but has that got back to them? That Cisco was there, and he was one of the ones that killed that founder. Yeah, maybe I'm so. Just, I'm, so, I'm also... that, so that gives them a different view of Cisco. It does, it does. But I'm, just, but again, that's the founders. Not like I think Wayne, even though he is uh, totally in the pocket of the founders, I think he also no, does make some decisions himself. Yeah, decided it better. But I mean, from her point of view, if that's got yeah. back to Dominion, what happened there mm. with the Klingon? That's if right. Cisco was involved, it'd be like, oh, we've got to be careful here. Cisco has, Cisco's been involved in killing a founder. Yeah. We can't not let him know that he's a founder on the body. We'll that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. And, and towards the war point as well, I think that if it was like um, that first one, you know, we try to get a, uh, we put, a uh, founder at the head of the Klingon Empire, you found out. And so it's kind of like, it's almost like, yeah, okay, Mirkol, like, you know, no, mm -hmm. like that's not worth going to war over because we both did things. Yeah. Whereas if Cisco lets a founder die, if he knew a founder was on board, then I think that would have been them just fucking blasting the shit out of uh, the Federation that yeah. minute. So it's hard yeah, to justify no, that anyway. Um, and so there is a like layer upon layer of tragedy, isn't there, yeah. at the end? Because it's like the founder died, all the Jemadar killed themselves because the founder died. Yeah. And it was all effectively a misunderstanding if they'd have just been a bit more honest with if, each if other. They trusted each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know we're a season away from it, but I, I do enjoy the juxtaposition of this episode is episode two of season five and episode two of season six is another standoff between Cisco and a Vorta commander and a team of Jemadar. And obviously we'll cover that when we get there, but I, I just really like the, the symmetry of that. Um, Might I even throw out, because there's a lot of times with wars where they go, it's like just something happened in this moment differently. It could have prevent the war it could have changed the course mm. of it just it imagine if like if, if they if found it, a way of letting him like if, if him knowing that the uh founder was there him letting the founder go that would prove to the yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say 
Yeah, and like, I mean, if they had empirical evidence that a solid had let one of them live, that could be a huge moment in this, which... It's Absolutely, kind of yeah. Like it could have been the, the difference maker in the whole war sort of thing. It could have been the Enterprise C moment. It could have been, like, yeah. yeah. And, okay, Cisco again. I mean, we've talked about Gowron and his pronunciation. Um, I like the way Cisco, when he's reading the, the list of people who've died, and it's like, we lost six people. Smith, Regis. Five. Five people, I think, you know, so the Smith, Regis, blah, blah, blah. I mean, yes. It's like, okay, so make it obvious which one was a featured guest star in this episode, Cisco. Oh, he's so much more important. Um, and then Worf goes, I like that Worf goes that, and joins O'Brien's vigil, though. That, I really that's annoyed nice. at this. I really annoyed at this. Because they've got Martinez, they've got him in a coffin, and obviously there's not a lot of space on the fence, so they've got him in cargo bay. What's happened to Todor, who died on the planet? They said at the beginning they buried the people ah, who... Ah, there you go. ...in the beginning. No. That was... Uh, that's when they first found the, found the ship, and they buried all the Jemadar in the water that they found, and oh, okay. one that had died. And then, the wording, they, they, and then they get attacked, mm-hmm. and and Todor dies. Oh, he dies the next wave. I was going to say because the wording they use is that. we've buried the dead. They don't say yeah. Selfie or, you know, yeah. But yeah, if he dies afterwards, maybe he they dies. maybe there's a cutscene where he gets buried. Maybe so. Yeah, it's the great lost scene. As far as we know, he got shot. It fell on the side of the ship to the side of the ship, and he's still there. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter because he's not Mignes. <laughs> it's um, also nice to just a little, just throw it out. There was nice no, little thing where, where... that I noticed that no, he no. died on the planet as well, and he hasn't been brought back to what we no, know. That's fair point. And we also it's got a that... little bit of dialogue cut where when Wolf first walks in, he goes, "Fucking told you." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I did like also that that when uh, he, he has the. Mignette's scene. Mm-hmm. You've also got Dax going, it's like, well, look, you know, and he re- reminisces about all these personal moments with them, which was quite nice. And she goes, it's like, well, he was also damn proud to put on that uniform. So I, I yeah, that's a very nice scene. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm only. There's an interesting point where he is reading that list and he calls it so many names, so yeah. many dead. And then you get the same scene at the start of In a Pale Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. Com- compare and contrast that but, with but where we're he's going. Looking five, he's looking at five people, and at that point, it's been millions. Yeah, well, and it's yeah, going to get a hell of a lot worse, goes, Cisco. Yeah. Well, but it's In Pale Moonlight because they have a few... Mo- five people hit scene. Yeah, you've got five people here. Then I believe there are a couple more scenes in the way to Pale Moonlight where he talks about casualty reports yeah. and he's, like, looking for people they know and all these, like, mm. different benchmarks. And then it's Pale Moonlight where he goes, like, uh, I remember when I used to memorize every name. It's just, oh, it's so, like, you know, he's so defeated. He's just, like, another casualty report. Oh, another another thousand people. Uh, you know, it's like, not yeah. that he's casual about it, but he's just broken. Yeah, there is it, it, yeah. I'm glad you pulled that out. That that is a nice, well, not nice. It's quite quite horrible. But, but, um, but, but it's, it's, how, it's how affected he is by five people yes, here. Yes, exactly. Where he get where he goes. Yeah, it's because they don't put any Muniezes on on any of the further lists. If they had a done, 
In fact, what I'd have done, just to, you know, a bit of levity during the war, I'd have sent Cisco a casualty list that's just all Minyez and had him read it out and he'd be like, Minyez and Minyez. Minyez. All you're making me think of is there's... um. There's an episode with Cassie Yates. I think it might be Way of, Way of the Warrior, but there's a scene with Cassie Yates, and it's directed by um, Avery Brooks. Mm. And she goes like, he goes, is everyone all right over there? She goes, everyone is fine. And it's like, you can tell he's directing this one. Yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah. he, he might not have directed it, but I like, I just kept on thinking, it's like, she'd been like, taking acting yeah, lessons Come on, slalom. <laughs> uh, Anyway, I think that'll do us for now. I, I was just about yeah. to raise one more point. There's an interesting part where the universal translators fail. Oh, yes. Where Martinez is uh, just before he dies, he's hallucinating. He's talking to his dad and he slips into Spanish. Mm. He's yeah, speaking good. Spanish. He's speaking Spanish. And oh, Northern yeah, but they, they have like, it's like Jean Luc throwing in a French word. Yeah, yeah well, but no it's one like understands the... what he's saying, does he? But have you noticed when he is dying, uh-huh. or he's having, the, having this, he's pointing up, and he's pointing up to uh, that panel, like the fact where the Oh, maybe he knew. Maybe he knew. And I'm going to go that when you're dying, because, like, your heart rate and everything's all over the place, it throws off the universal translator. That's no, crazy. I think you have a, an internal button that you can press to do it on purpose, like when the Klingons do it and they speak Klingon just to annoy the people who don't understand Klingon. I reckon you can turn it off internally just to annoy people. Or but... read, read your brain pans, which would also make sense of the dying thing because his brain's all confined. Yeah, I'm sure there's many, many reasons, not least of which to make the scene more dramatic. But um... I think that's what it's pointed at when he's going, it's so beautiful. Ah, the changeling. Yeah, Minez was like, actually a traitor. No, you could see the changeling at that point. Well, that, yeah, but he's pointing <laughs> at it. And... So, so you can. All the Federation needed to do to find founders was have people at the point of death. Yeah, and just point. The changelings looked up his personnel file and has appeared as his dad just to fuck with <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful, Dad. I mean, he's really hallucinating. Yeah, the all the way through, like it's a... been putting stuff on screen to annoy him, like, you are fucked. And when Wolf's <laughs> going, like, who's going to die? It's like, he's right. But if they've looked where he was pointing, they might have found the founder then. And they might have been in time to save him and stop the war yeah. again. You clearly haven't watched enough pantos because the second he goes like, but it's up there, it says, like, okay, I'm going to look right now, and if it's not there, and then the... <laughs> What's the, oh, what's the, is it a TV show or a film where there's somebody in a bed and they point at the person who's the baddie, but the, like, the baddie person sort of holds the hand and it's, so they don't yeah. identify him. Yeah. I can't remember what it is now, but that's really jumping I, I out. Me. The scene. I'm going to think of that for next time. Is it in Breaking Bad or something? No, I don't know. We won't get hung up on that. Uh, that'll do us for this week then. Next week we're looking at The Begotten. And the first of the two part in Purgatory Shadow. Oh, so that's gonna be. So we can do the two parts together. I'll have a dig through and we'll see if we can find yeah. a tenuous Dominion episode. Yeah, because it'd be nice to do them two as as a one episode together. It would it? indeed, yeah. Oh, but how great would it be to get to the end of like the uh the two episodes and then go to be continued? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, because it, it was mid-season originally. That's true. <laughs> it's um, an amazing mid-season episode, but it wasn't a... No, it, it is. Shows how, it actually shows how strong DS9 got. That mm-hmm. This is just a mid-season episode. Absolutely. Um, so, we'll wrap up there. You can find us on all the usual socials. RetrakePod at gmail.com at RetrekPod, looking for us on Facebook, look on YouTube, Retrek Model Studios, which is on YouTube, is Elliot's thing. But I think, Dr. Squee, you can close us out by telling us once again about what you're doing tomorrow, because it's a very yeah. special Retrek Dr. Squee show crossover. Yeah, I'm leaving the banner on the bottom just uh, because that's where you can hear the audio of it with some musical choices uh, mixed in as well. But, it's going to be tomorrow, Thursday, the 18th, I believe it is tomorrow. 19th. Uh, tomorrow. 19th. Thursday the 19th uh, at 7 p.m. GMT. Look up your local time zones. I will be interviewing, once again, the amazing Alexander Siddig. Sid, is, he insists I call him. Uh, and uh, you can, if you miss it when it's live, just uh, go to Dr. Squee. Uh, sorry, YouTube.com slash Dr. Squee. So, yeah, and we're yeah we're very 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 excited about that, and it will be awesome. And quite apart from the fact that Alexander Siddig's one of them guys who you could just listen to talk for hours about all sorts yeah. of things, but from our Trekkie perspective, the fact that you've managed to pin him down and say right, we're going to talk about Bashir now, absolutely so nice. can't wait. <laughs> It's also so nice that he's, he, because he was brought up in the UK, even though he's Sudanese originally, um, he just, it, just very quickly, a story from the first time I interviewed him, he said that he kind of, when he came over, he was just basically coming playing really quickly. His uncle was the, um, uh, in uh, Sudan, he was the president, and his other uncle was Malcolm McDowell, but that's another story. And he got shoved on this plane with a thing, of, a crate of mangoes. And I said, <laughs> man, if you wrote that into a film, that would look like a poor stereotype. Like, oh, here's the thing of mangoes. Go to the UK. But it actually happened to Yeah. Yeah, I love that story. No, it's, yeah. The, and, yeah, do go back and watch the previous interview because it was a great like, interview. With no offence to anyone in America or anything, it's like, I, I just feel like if it was an American, I would be too worried to make that joke because yeah. the sensibilities of Mickey taking, you know, in England are a bit more liberal sometimes. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Check out the Dr. Squeeze show. Check out the live interview with Sid. And um, thanks for trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the retrack. Thank you. LLAP and drag off. <laughs>